Welcome to the first episode of Dumbo Belkia Season 11 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Hampton, and joining me this week for the last podcast of my 20s is the guy who we're sure God will punish eventually, David Mindley. Welcome to Gay Death. I said this to you yesterday before you finished watching the episode, but Ruben, instant Harmstone favour. Yes. He's the best. His interview is just so brilliant. He's obviously the banner. He's immediately the person I want to win slash be the ball. Yep. And, um, yeah, we've had a bit of an interesting time, given our usual recording software decided to change its free plan and is now trying to charge me money. So that was a, a very fun thing to discover this morning. So hello, Patreon subscribers. Yeah, so what this is obviously leading on to is please subscribe to the Patreon because we need money. And um, what did you think of the premiere? I liked it. Maybe it's just because, you know, my expectations were so low after the last 10 weeks of Venom. But this was really good. Yeah, I said on the Brothers Bar Discord that I think it's just really nice to have playful, stupid mole back. Yeah. Because that's what Belkir is. Belkir is very playful. It's very silly. As we saw a couple of times in this episode, it's very, very silly. But it's just nice to have a mole back with a little sense of fun. It's nice to have a show back that respects your intelligence as a viewer. Yeah, and also loves to completely troll people. For example, putting up that video of people guessing who the 10th candidate was going to be, having the numbers change, having people ring it and find out the name Steve, and then it turns out to be a complete fake-out, and it's actually world-famous actor Matteo Simone. (laughs) Yeah, that's the sort of level of trolling that I appreciate from this show. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that twist yet. Yeah, I mean, on the surface of it, obviously this goes against what Papa Bear has told us before, in that they only go for people who apply, they never go for recruits. But on the other hand, I am a sucker for a twist that bombs. And this is one of the biggest bombs in mole history. And it's an unintentional bomb, unlike most bombs you see on Belgia. It's just delightful to me. The scary thing is, like, this is probably the biggest bomb of a twist Belhia has ever done. But this is not in the bottom 10 of the last 18 months or so. I said this with last season. I like it when stuff goes a little bit wrong for production and they've got to scramble. I don't like it to happen to the level of what happened last year. Yeah. So the average age of this season is 33.4 without Mateo, changing to 33.6 with him, compared to 38.3 in Argentina, 33.4 in South Africa, 37.7 in Mexico, 35.1 in Vietnam. 34.6 for Greece, 31.9 and 33.3 for Germany, and 34.6 slash 34.3 for the Canary Islands. So this is second youngest ever, aside from Germany? Yes, so including Matteo, it's older than South Africa, and it's, it's older than Germany, and that's it. Older than South Africa, older than Germany, and that's it. So it's third, third youngest. That's about the only thing that's older than Germany. And I have to take a little bit of credit for the location as well. Arizona is obviously a wonderful choice for a location. But during Oregon Historians, we did say we'd love to see what Belkia would do with the Wild West theme season. You're welcome, everyone. Turns out, next week it's going to be boot camp. I can't wait for that. I love the fact that we've had a proper shouty English swear word already, and it's only episode one. Uh, I, I love that the... Like the title quotes this season seem to be like films about America because this week was coming to America. 
So I kind of wonder, you know, which of the many, 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 many army-themed films they're going to use next week. I'm going to put my bet in as Saving Private Ryan. Okay, I'll go for Metal Jacket. We'll see whether either of us are right next week, because you're back with me next week, as we found out. Yep. Also worth pointing out is that I was on the hunt this week, even though it was unsubbed, because I spotted something on the website with the cast photos, which was that all of them had a number and a unique identifier at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So if Lisa Lot, who was number 10, had gone home, then I would have been full beans on the person who is number one, which was Lancelot. Huh. So the numbers are, just in case we do need to keep an eye on it, one for Lancelot, two for Comfort, three for Toos, four for Reuben, five for Thomas, six for Samia, seven for Connie, eight for Lila, nine for Mateo, and ten for Lancelot. Three for Toos? That could get confusing. And... Do you know where Logan is? Have you heard from him in the past week or so? Uh, I haven't. I think he's trapped in Cafe de Mole's storeroom in between all the wanky milks. He's going to love listening back to all these when he comes home in, in a week or so, isn't he? I know. He's due home the day that we release the week two podcast, I think. I think he's due home on the 30th. So he's going to have so much fun listening back to all these and the amount of shit that we've talked about him. So you're stuck with me for another week, everybody. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. So we open a month before departure in Vilvorda with the last round of selections. And I have one note here, which is just, I already love Thomas for his shirt choice. It is (laughs) equal parts wonderful and disgusting. The lights go red and a door behind all of them opens, leading onto the Twin Peaks corridor and a phone ringing. Have you seen Twin Peaks? I think I saw like the first episode before it got weird, and then I'm like, I don't need to see any more. I'm sort of vaguely aware of it. I've never yeah. seen it. I've bought the box set for my brother. Yeah, like I, I've got the box set somewhere and just never bothered to watch more than the first episode or two. Yeah, I just, I think we're going to shame ourselves with any Twin Peaks references in this episode. Yeah, like I sort of, you know, understand what it's about and how weird it got and all that sort of stuff. But my biggest frame of reference is the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode of The Simpsons. I will say it now, though. If there is a clue that ends up being something to do with backwards talking, which I'm vaguely aware of from Twin Peaks, then I want a point immediately. Okay. They have done backwards talking clues before, but Mm -hmm. I I think they will probably end up doing one of some description if the opening of this season around Twin Peaks. So the lights go red and the door behind all of them opens, as I said, leading onto the Twin Peaks corridor and a phone ringing. They all find out their selection from the phone and press 1 to confirm it. Gilles then speaks with the 10th person, who is a celebrity. Ooh, Ooh, fancy. Oh my god, it's Matteo Simone. We've all definitely heard of him. Apologies, Belgians. Okay, I know know we're joking, but I, I think I genuinely have seen one of his films before. Is this in a Logan way, or...? No, no, there's... There's a TV channel in Australia called SBS that basically does, like, foreign films overnight. And I'm pretty sure I've seen one of his films on there at some point. Because I I did recognise the face. I mean, obviously, off the back of world-famous photographer Chris Spots' face on Bidham, I am going to keep calling him world-famous actor Matteo Simone, just because I'm a child. Well, you are world-famous podcaster Michael Harmstone. Exactly. So Matteo gets the first assignment, which is to give the group an initial presence. He has to convince the other nine that he's not Matteo Simone, but a doppelganger. Ah, Twin Peaks reference. If he manages it, he will earn the first 2,000 euros for the group pot. 
The title is obviously from Coming to America, which is no journey is too great when one finds what he seeks. The game takes place in a very snowy-looking Arizona. Each of them is obviously wearing a Stetson. Well, of course. It looks horrible in Arizona on that day. I wouldn't want to be standing in the middle of nowhere in Arizona while it snowed or hailed or whatever it was on Tuesday at that point. No. I don't even like standing undercover in a hailstorm. No, I obviously did a little bit of research on this. I think this episode may have been filmed on the 3rd of November, because it's the only day I can see on the weather mm. for Ash Fork, where they were, where it actually snowed between November and December. They like to film around November, December time. It's the only day I can see that there was actually snow in the forecast. So it kind of lines up with when they normally do it. I don't think mm. they'd push it into December, given how close to Christmas they'd probably all come home. No. But early November, I think this was. And they are in Ash Fork, which is 144 miles from Phoenix, although Vidim would probably still try and claim that it's close to Wilderness, despite them being 10,000 miles apart. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I, I, I love to... Like, throughout this episode, they sort of show the map showing how far they are from Sedona. Yeah. And, and every single time it came up, I'm like, that's pretty far away, but it's still closer to Sedona than, like, half the places from Vidimwood or Wilderness. I had to get a Wilderness joke in. I have, on the Sedona point, been to Sedona. We'll probably come up against this a few times in the uh, in the episode. I did do a few days in Arizona in 2013 when I did my big tour of America, so... Sedona, very interesting place. I was only there for the afternoon. It's, if I'm thinking of the right place, it's kind of a hippie place. It sounds about right. It's one of the more liberal places in America, I seem to remember. Yeah. So Jill appears on a radio and tells them that they are split into two groups, and it is time to face one another for the first time. Group one is Thomas, Comfort, Steve, and Lila, and group two is Samuel, Reuben, Connie, and Lancelot. Steve immediately gets compared to Matteo Simone, world-famous actor. For their first challenge, they must stop the clock by Jill in exactly an hour, with two minutes buffer either side. The clock is two kilometres away from both groups, and each candidate who makes it on time is worth 500 euros for the pot. To help them along the way, they have some tools, an hourglass, a glass of water, a compass, a video of Usain Bolt running the 100 metres, a grandfather clock, candles, a smoke detector, paracetamol which dissolves in 30 seconds, and a lighter. You know, all of the standard things. Yeah. There is an obvious trick one, I think, on this one. And it leads into my suspicions for the week, actually. I think the hourglass is the trick one here. Oh, why? Because hourglasses only work if they're on a flat surface. And you can get the consistent amount of sand flowing all the time to actually accurately time it. Because it was a 30-second hourglass, as we saw. Yeah. But if you're constantly carrying it and moving it and everything, the flow of sand isn't consistent. That's a good point. So it's the easiest thing on that table to sabotage if you carry it with you. Yeah. Uh, and we saw like about 34 minutes in or whatever it was. They were you know, only a couple of seconds out, but then all of a sudden they were like eight minutes out the next time we saw an update. Yeah. As much as I love Ruben, he's very suspicious with that hourglass because he keeps getting to turn it over as it gets pointed out. He keeps moving it, he keeps not being consistent with it, and it's by far the easiest one to to meddle with, I would say, Yeah. of the stuff they can carry. Because obviously the glass of water and the paracetamol are linked, and I don't know how many paracetamol he got, but I presume it wasn't an hour's worth. No. The compass, I have no idea what that was meant to be about. 
I presume that was just to guide them to the midpoint. The video of Usain Bolt, I think Connie said, was about 9.8 seconds. So that's tough to carry with you. The candles, I would say, are probably the best one to take with you. Because on the surface of it, you you don't think, oh, those candles are going to be useful. But I reckon that they would probably burn down in about an hour. I reckon they're probably the most accurate one. Yeah. I think the one thing that would have stopped me from choosing the candles is we they didn't really get a lot of time before the Chinese started to test how long the things worked. And if you've got something like candles where, you know, once you've tested it, you can't redo it. And, you know, not every candle is the same and all of that sort of thing. I don't think I would have picked the candles. Like, I, I would definitely wouldn't have picked, you know, Usain Bolt. No, because it's not an easy one to, to do mathematically unless you're coming. I was also kind of surprised they even were able to do that, considering, you know, what the Olympics is like with people using their footage. Yeah, there's probably a fair use thing. Yeah. And they didn't really show it that much. They only showed it once or twice. Yeah, good point. So talking of Connie, she's a 58-year-old maths teacher. Everything is data to her, and she's been teaching for 36 years, which is, of course, a square number. The other two, Lisa Lott and Toos, meet Jill in a very snowy field. As part of the call, they were also asked if they wanted a ticket to episode 2, otherwise known as the first exemption of the season. They were the two fastest to accept the offer, despite the threat of personal risk. Thomas also pressed, as did Comfort, Lila, Lancelot, and Connie. Jill only has one exemption, and there are two quick people in front of him, so that calls for a good old-fashioned duel. Win the duel and you win the exemption, lose the duel, and you're out of the show until the test. The two hiking groups find their first mini-challenge, lose and they'll be out of the challenge and their money will not go into the pot. In it, they must match statements from their interviews to the eight candidates in this challenge. Group 1, volunteer Thomas and Lila, and Group 2, volunteer Connie and Samia. This episode as a whole gave me massive Argentina vibes. Yeah. It felt very back to basics, because we had the opening hike, which was just a takeoff of the 5km find the midpoint one, with the mini-challenges. You had the, the identification challenge, in the form of Mateo and the Llama challenge, or the Alpaca challenge, whichever one it was. Very, very similar. Yeah, 100% similar. I'm, I'm stretching this for, for that one. You had the heights-related challenge. Yeah. In uh, in the form of the slight line versus the hanging off a bridge, or the Arden Memorial Challenge, as we call it. Mm-hmm. And you end the episode with someone locked in a vehicle in the garden, trying to escape. I, I don't mind that it was pretty back-to-basics. No, it felt deliberate that it was very back-to-basics. Yeah, I, I think... I think with all of the things that happened last year, they may have sort of been thinking, let's go back to what works a little bit, which, honestly, it's this show, it's going to work, you might as well. Like, it's not like, you know, a show that's changed as much over the the years as Survivor trying to do a back-to-basic season in 2023. No, it it felt quite nice and back-to-basics and quite Argentina-influenced to me, this episode. Yeah. Because we also had the the takeoff of, I mean, I love the Note Diabolique version of this, but the electric wire setting off the alarms in the mm. abandoned hacienda challenge as well. How do you think you would have done with the statements? I, I think if I'd noticed the walkie-talkie pretty quickly, I would have been fine. Well, you're going to know your two, you and the person you're working with. You're probably going to be able to ask the other two people 
that you're with for their quotes, whether they remember and tell them the truth and all that sort of stuff is a bit of a different story. I think if like you had to guess without noticing the walkie-talkie, I think that would have made it a lot harder than it was. I also do have to point out that it wasn't technically a walkie-talkie. It was translated as a walkie-talkie, but it wasn't technically one. It was actually a CB radio. Oh. And I'm assuming that is because of the legacy of America being associated with truckers and stuff. So that was a really nice touch, to not have a walkie there, but to put in a CB radio. And I don't think anyone else spotted that yet, which is fun. I obviously did watch this episode unsubbed. Um, I know in the intervening days between it being released and us recording this that various versions of subtitles have come out. If you don't know how to get a subtitle version of this show, then I would probably point you towards Marika's channel, because she gave a guide on how to potentially do it. The subs are a bit rough if you do it that way, but it's better than nothing. And the subs only translate the things that are said and not translated on the screen. That's the only caveat I would say to it. I I watched this this morning without the subs, and then basically while I was well, like while I was finishing up, noticed that somebody had made a decent set of subs, and then was basically busy all day, and then only just got to watch the first twenty minutes or so with subs just before recording this. Yeah, I, I skimmed through the translated subs yeah. for anything that I wasn't one hundred percent on. Yeah, one of which is coming up very soon. Well, hopefully I can help. So Connie has an Instagram for maths. And then we get introduced to Thomas next. He's a 42-year-old geography teacher with amazing shirts. He says that the shirt he's wearing is from his dead neighbor's closet. But don't worry, he didn't steal it. He just bought her house. One of the statements <laughs> is that someone has never worked out who the mole is. And that is Matteo, who is a 35-year-old actor. And Connie immediately sees through his disguise. Because I believe her exact words are, oh, they've just put glasses on him. <laughs> and... When the reveal happens, it's so hilariously awkward because they literally have just put glasses on him and flattened his hair. Yeah. They've not even tried. It's it's very much from the Salim school of makeup. I think they actually put more effort into Salim than they did into yeah. trying to make Matteo look any different. I saw a theory that they put a cotton ball behind his lip or something, but I don't think they did. Yeah. So we find out that Sammy is afraid of small spaces and discovered that while she was on her tanning bed, and she's a 26-year-old lawyer... The next statement is that someone will never make dessert again, and Connie and Sammy say that it won't be Reuben because he's a pastry chef. Both sides also have a CB radio to the other group, not that either of them realise. The next statement is the one that I was really confused about, because it's Lila's, and it's that she wanted to go to the Netherlands as she'd met a girl there, but it's her story that was the confusing bit, because apparently she went to The Hague to work in a coffee shop and study people there as an anthropologist, but the passive smoke meant she couldn't remember much of it and didn't write anything down, because... She was, and I quote, high as fuck. I don't get what part of that is confusing. Well, I was confused until I read the translated subs of that, as to what it was. Because I kind of got bits of it, but I wasn't uh, 100% on, on the connection to why she was working in a coffee shop and things. That makes sense. So the non-playing pairs need to decide when to leave, as they can't miss the hour-long clock. And after 16 minutes, Thomas spots the walkie-talkie, and they begin to communicate. Lancelot is a 27-year-old estate agent. <laughs> Next note from me, Christ, they want me to hate these jobs. His fact is that he thinks people cry too much. He says that he can't be embarrassed and doesn't mind rejection, an opinion that this show lives to try and solve. Thomas and Lila solve the puzzle and head back to the group, leaving Connie and Samuel to fend for themselves. Lancelot and Reuben decide to leave them behind. 
which Samya accuses them of being traitors when they do. I kind of really like her. Yeah. They've never cast anyone like Samya before, which is nice. Yeah. And I know that Jill told me and Logan a couple of years ago that they were pushing for a bit more diversity and stuff. And Samya is a great example of that. Yes. More people like Samya, please. Yeah, we've never had anyone like her. I don't really think she's the mole that much. No. But I really like her, nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, spoilers for later, but I've put her sort of right down near the bottom of this list. And sort of like 90% of that is the Australia Mole 6 situation, where it's like... Would they really? Yeah, basically. And yet Comfort is at the top. Yeah, it's the would they really aspects of this. But I will also cast your mind back to, to Mexico, where... We basically went the, would they really cast a priest as the mole? And the answer is yes. Not that he's a priest anymore. So instead of shooting each other, at least a lot of two shoot mirrors of each other, they get one shot and one chance. And I do wonder what would have happened if neither of them had hit. I don't know. I think I think there might have been like a tiebreaker challenge of some description. Yeah, because they couldn't have taken two people out and they couldn't have locked both of them in the caravan. So I feel like they probably just would have reloaded and tried again. Maybe, yeah. And they just edited it out. Exactly, just say it was the first time. Yeah. The second mini challenge is for two slow daredevils. Each group has a different creature to grab. Group one have a snake, and group two have a spider. Everyone must wear a Stetson with a motion sensor in it. If they set it off, they have to go back to the start. One person must place their animal in the correct cage by identifying its name to succeed in the challenge. Would you rather rather have... You're going to ask the same question I was. Would you rather have done the snake or the spider? Snake. Yeah. I think snake would have been easier to control. Yeah. Like, I I don't think I would have had too many issues with either of them. But, being Australian, I'm well aware that I have a different mentality towards spiders and snakes and all of that sort of stuff than, say, the average Belgian. Yeah, I was going to say, Australia's sort of trained you to not be scared of any wildlife particularly. Everything down here is trying to kill us, and nothing has succeeded yet. So Lancelot sets his alarm off quickly, but Comfort manages to grab her snake, which is a gynecologist she shouldn't have much experience with. <laughs> I'm proud of that one, okay? I I know. So she's a 30-year-old gynecologist. In a game, she is in the go-go-go group, but she isn't a poor loser. Will she get frustrated with someone losing on purpose? Of course she will. The three snake types are the long snake, the ground snake, and the king snake, and Steve is sure that it's the king snake they're looking for. Lancelot gets the spider, and each group has the identification board for the other. The spiders are either the wolf spider, the rosehair tarantula, or the Arizona blonde, which I'm also pretty sure is a pale ale. So Reuben is a 22-year-old pastry chef, and his mum told him that he had to stop saying hot for dumber, because one day God will punish him. Two seconds after he said that God didn't exist, a bird pooed on his forehead. <laughs> Hands down, the best anecdote we've ever heard on one of these intros. Yes. For many reasons. One, it gives me the first opportunity to go, hot for dumber, like Lloyd. But two, more importantly, it tells us everything we need to know about Reuben. Yep. Like, we get nothing of his job and nothing of him being the youngest of the group or, or a pastry chef. We just get... Oh yeah, he's got a really religious mother. She doesn't like him saying hot for dumber. And he, he was like, yeah, mum, God doesn't exist. And then a bird shit on him. Perfect. <laughs> so Lancelot somehow selects the right one, which is the Arizona blonde. And he and Reuben complete their challenge. 
and they decide to just keep walking. Mateo places the snake in the king snake basket, and they also complete their challenge. And Ruben and Lancelot reach jail, who tells them that the time will stop when they press one of the two buttons beside him. One for Lot and one for Toos. Only by correctly identifying the winner of the exemption will they earn money. Lot and Toos try and blame each other for winning, and if they are correctly identified, they will lose the exemption if the group earn money. Only the people at the button when it's pressed count for the pot, so they maybe should wait for the other group as well to earn the most money. However, Reuben and Lancelot think they're running low on time, so make a quick decision and pick Toos. He did indeed win the exemption, earning them a thousand euros if they're correct. However, the button was pressed at 53 minutes and 52 seconds, meaning no euros of 4,000 for the challenge, and Toos is three to episode Toos. <coughs> He then joins the group, and Lot is taken away until the test. Under terrible pressure from the group, Mateo then reveals his identity and they lose another 2,000 euros. And by terrible pressure, I of course mean Connie saying once to him, you're Mateo Simone, aren't you? And he's just like, yes, I am, whatever. God, he was... I, I don't want to say he's bad at it, but I kind of feel like, you know, if you're such a famous actor, you'd kind of go into something like that with a bit more of a plan. You'd stand up to the pressure a lot more than he did. Yeah. Like, he seems like a nice guy. Unlike a lot of the stunt casting, and unlike a lot of the recruiting that Vidim does, hmm. he has definitely seen the show before. He is actually a fan. Yeah. It just so happens that he was presumably talking to one of the producers at a party or something and mentioned it, and they went, oh, yeah, we might be able to do something about that. Because he was recruited. We know that from Capitol Mall, apparently. Yeah. He didn't apply like everyone else. But he is actually a genuine mole fan, by the sound of things. Did we ever see him in the interview room? Yes. Yeah, because we didn't get a proper interview with him, but we did see him in the interview room because of the Mateo being a 35-year-old out of it. Oh, yeah. Like, I, do, I don't mind that they did a twist like this in America where, you know, celebrity is part of the culture. It's just, you know, a less telegenic part of the culture than... Stasi interrogations, or God, that sounds weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, like the sort of examples you can come up with from past seasons. It just feels a little bit more superficial, which it, which isn't DeCosta's fault. No, I'll say the best thing about this for me is what it brought out in everyone else, because everyone else was super starstruck, and. We just get Reuben fangirling for the rest of the episode. And I think that's what kind of makes this twist work more for me than anything, is the fact that everyone just goes, oh my god, it's Matteo Simone. Oh my yeah. god, it's him. And they just kind of can't believe. Hmm. The funniest thing is, like, I looked up his IMDb. It doesn't even look like he's that big a name in Belgium. Oh no, he's a, he's a world-famous actor. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, recognisable and all that sort of stuff. But he's not, like, A-list or anything. He's more... God, who's a good example? Is he more or less famous than Thomas Camet? The only other Belgian actor I know. I would say less. Okay, that's the level we're working with. Fine. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like sort of somewhere in the realm of, like, Zach Galifianakis. Ah. Yeah, so, like, not a huge name. Okay. But, you know, one that sort of, you see his face, you'll sort of vaguely recognise him. So the nine candidates who are still part of the episode then drive to their first overnight location, which, as we said, was Sedona. 
And Ruben says he doesn't have posters of Mateo in his room, but he may have a keyring. And as they've not learnt their lesson from last year, there are only four rooms in the house that they're staying in, so people have to share beds. Obviously, Ruben and Mateo have to share, and he says he's going to think of it as just sleeping with another candidate. Okay. And the best news for him is he now gets a bed all to himself. <laughs> Lisa Lot leaves him a note, and Comfort immediately checks the photo just in case it's hiding an exemption. And then at dinner, Jill hands out the mole books to make it official, and tells them that Lisa Lot's favourite colour is pink. And because they're nice, they do leave the pink mole book for her. Nine of the ten wake up in Sedona on day two, and Mateo and Ruben are already getting closer in the hot tub. And then Jill comes in and tells them they'll be immersing themselves in the culture of the US today, and the word of the day is line dance. I, I love that they were both semi-naked in the hot tub and everybody else was freezing their tits off. Of course, it's November in Arizona. It's not going to have been warm. No. I, I, I think... You can kind of, like, I wasn't looking, but, like, you could kind of tell they were wearing underpants, and probably that's a good idea for them. Yeah. He's looking for five candidates who would choose Come Do the Line Dance by Will Turer, and four who would prefer Walk the Line by Johnny Cash. Lancelot suggests Walk the Line would be a walking tour, and Ruben thinks that it'll be a tightrope between two cliffs. The five line dancers, Mateo, Lila, Lancelot, Connie, and Thomas, head to a ranch in Cottonwood, and they'll be getting a crash course in line dancing from Annette and Ginny, but two of them must do the last and hardest dance, and they pick Connie and Thomas for that. They can earn up to €2,500, but to earn the money, they have to line dance to four country classics while making no mistakes whatsoever. Which one would you have picked out of the two? Um, I, I think we've established that I am not doing the tie trope. That's it. <laughs> I absolutely cannot dance. So this would have been a nightmare. Yeah. I would like to sit around and laugh at them option. Yeah. I think the decision is determined actually by whether it's a slackline or a tightrope. Because they occasionally say that it's a tightrope. It is not a tightrope. It's a slackline. And there is a big difference in it. Because a slackline is a bit more flexible. Yeah. And I think if I'd seen that it was a slackline, I would have bailed out of there straight away. Yeah. I would have taken my chances with a tightrope, although, as as Toos ends up saying, the taller you are, the harder it is. I would have really struggled with a tightrope, but yeah, slight line, not a chance. Yeah. This looked genuinely terrifying in a way that a lot of these things on these shows don't. Yeah, this was genuinely shitting yourself stuff. Yeah. So the other four are in the Coconino National Forest, at the edge of the world. Three of them must cross a slack line to put wooden coins worth 200 euros each into a hanging piggy bank, while the fourth must then cross and collect the piggy bank itself to bank the money. Two says the taller you are, like Reuben, the harder balance is for you, which is at least good news for you, Bindles. Oh god. Sorry, god for Dommer. And we also find out that Toos tried to do a backflip and fell in his neck. Okay. And they end up putting comfort last, and there is of course a twist. Each time the dancers make a mistake, the piggyback will be dragged two metres further away from the start point. So it's very much like capitalism. So Toos is the first to try the slack line, and Jambalaya is the first song. If they complete it without any errors, it's worth 500 euros for the pot. Toos starts banking cash and gets all five coins in the bank. The dancers also bank their 500 euros, which is the first money actually in the pot for the season. Go team! Samia is the second to slack line, and she struggles a little bit more than Toos. The dancers are dancing to Let Your Love Flow by the Bellamy Brothers. Lancelot claps too early and the piggy bank moves back further. 
and he makes another mistake and it moves even further. To Samia's credit, she does reach the piggy bank and gets all her coins in. It's an interesting way to do this challenge. Yeah. I feel like if it was another mole franchise, they probably would have made them collect the money as well as drop it off. Like, they would have come up with some way for, you know, most of them to have to basically grab five hanging coins. I mean, Australia 6 100% would have done that. Yeah. They probably would have had them have to walk over it and hit it with a bat or something. Yeah. And then, you know, however many of them you hit with a bat decides how many jokers you get for that test. Now, how many jokers someone else gets? Because you can't give yourself stuff. That's too easy. Oh, no. So Ruben is the third to slight line, and the final dances to these boots are made for walking. Mateo makes a mistake, and as Ruben is about to put his coins in, the piggy bank moves. He gets two coins in before Mateo makes another error. And the thing that I thought was very interesting is that, unlike most of these sort of challenges, they seem to know that it's the dancers when it moves. Yeah. They don't usually tell them that. They definitely didn't with the Note Diabolique, and Mm. I don't think they did with the Electric Wire in Argentina either. So I think it's actually quite interesting that they're being completely transparent with them rather than just going, psych, we're just annoying you. But still, you know, fucking country dancers. I also love how Ruben was told to stop saying hot for dumber, but then says fucking a lot when he's on the slat line. See, he followed the rules. Yeah. He did what he was told, kind of. God doesn't care about your fucking. So he banks his thousand euros and they tell him to test the pig on the way back, but he doesn't hear them. And then Connie and Thomas do the last round of dancing to wheelchairers come do the line dance, and it is worth a thousand euros. Comfort does the walk, and all she has to do is unhook the piggy bank and bring it home. Don't worry, Comfort, this won't hurt a bit. Thomas makes a mistake, and the piggy bank moves, and Connie claps when she shouldn't, so it moves further, and she makes another mistake, moving it six metres from the start point. Comfort reaches the piggy bank and gets the carabiner, but it's a bit of a tough balancing act because she's not very tall. She falls off the line, and they lose the 3,000 euros. And that gives them a total of 500 euros of 5,500 for this pair of challenges. They wake up on day three in Sedona and get to have a picnic. Nothing could ever go wrong at a picnic. Oh no. Mateo can't seem to open the cream cheese dip, and Sammy jokes it's because he usually has people to open things for him. When they return to the house, they find the test laptop set up with Lisa Lark's name pre-filled and her mole book on the desk. There is also a red telephone which begins to ring, and the voice tells them that Lisa Lott's test will begin in 30 minutes. They're connected to her, and she asks for someone from West Flanders to talk to her, so Thomas takes over. She's locked in the caravan in the garden. If they get her out before her test, she can get a bit of information on what's happened so far, and potentially get through to the next episode. She asks for Toos, and they made a deal that he would help her if she lost. He tells her the truth when the group asks him what he said, and she can also earn them up to €3,000 by lifting a 25 kilo block, but to earn the money, she must, of course, escape the caravan. I tried to work out how quickly that money clock was going up, because they obviously, from a fairness point of view, have to make it more than 1.7 euros a second, so that if she escapes on time, they can earn all of the money. So I think it was slightly more than 1.7, but not too much more. I think they would have had to get her out sort of 28, 29 minutes with her holding the block continuously to be able to get all of the money. Maybe it was just, you know, two. Yeah, I, I don't think they had much buffer on it, but they did say up to 3,000 euros. Yeah. So to free her, they must find the key, and the information on where the key is is in the caravan itself. The key is hidden behind the hands of one of the clocks right in front of their faces. It's nice to know they're keeping the shit we hid in clocks industry busy. 
they are. They must have a a standing deal at this point, I think. Yeah. Because you've got to assume when they book them into a villa like that, they scope out all of the hidden places that they can do shit with. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not on the level of Germany's castle where they did just take over, like, half of the castle for it. But hiding stuff in clocks is just delightful, especially as you do have to be really, really close to the hand of that clock to actually spot the key behind it. Yeah, look how many people, you know, looked right at that clock and did not see it. Like, we get about four or five close-ups of people staring at the clock and not seeing the key. So, Lisa Lot tells them there is only 12 minutes left on the clock when there is more than 20. The others search the house for the key, and after a lot of hunting in the caravan, she finds a sign about where the key could be. Mateo messes with the clock and they start to tear it apart. Connie finally finds the key attached with 10 minutes left, although she is told that it is only 5 on the clock. If only they had a clock they could have checked. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they did establish that there was clocks on the microwave and on the oven and stuff. They probably should have been keeping a closer eye on that. I presume the clock that the key was hidden on was deliberately turned off or something. But still. And, like, brilliant gameplay from her part. Both, you know, try and get to rush a little bit, but also stops them all from doing that sort of strategy you get sometimes where they basically just run out the clock and arrive 30 seconds too late. But then, you know, she wastes it all by, you know, getting out with 10 minutes left and then spending half of it hugging people and fangirling over Mateo. So everyone apart from two agrees not to give her any information, and two and Thomas free her with six minutes left and 930 euros on the money clock, tripling the pot. Massive Gilles de Costa dick moment there, just going, oh, well done, you've brought money with you and actually tripled the pot. And that gives them a total of 930 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, and 1,430 of 14,500 for the episode and season so far. That feels low considering how much money there was available in the basically five challenges in this episode, but by comparison, that would be one of the most profitable Vidim premieres in years. The only way they could have made the caravan twist funnier, I think, is if Matteo was the one in the caravan. <laughs> if he had been greedy and gone, oh, I want an exemption to uh, to episode two, and completely and utterly ruined the €2,000 twist because only one other person would have seen him, and then got himself locked in the caravan for 95% of this episode. Absolutely beautiful production. I suspect they probably said that Mateo wasn't allowed to do it, which is a shame, but I just love the idea that Mateo could have been the one in the caravan and completely negated all of this twist. (laughs) So everyone gives her broad information about where the 500 euros came from before Jill walks in and tells her that it's time. It is time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows these goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Toos has an exemption to episode 2. Lancelot says Reuben wasn't really involved in the first challenge. He kept forgetting to turn the hourglass over and had to be reminded. Toos says that Lancelot wanted to press the button quickly. If he's the mole, he knew where the exemption was. Pushing the right button wins you favour, but pushing it too early wins you nothing. Thomas says Sammy hasn't contributed anything as a candidate. The only thing going against that is the fact she's always writing in her mole book. Sammy says she, Reuben and Toos did their best on the slot line, despite the other group's constant mistakes. Reuben says that from their point of view, it was terrible on the slot line. Every time they got closer, the piggy bank moved again. Comfort thought Matteo would have done the dance flawlessly. It's a very easy way to lose money. Because Matteo is his friend, Reuben might be overlooking his sabotages. He is an actor after all. Connie says Comfort was the smallest person on the slot line, and yet they trusted her to be in the key position. Lila says that if you're the mole, you know full well that you're going to be too small to reach the piggy bank, no matter how many times you try, you're still too small. Comfort says she didn't want to be last, as she'd have to take the piggy bank with her, but got forced into it. 
and no one thinks it was Lot as she was out for two days, but she did lie in the caravan, and it came naturally to her, and she seemed to know everyone's names within a minute. Jill tells them that the game of the mole is a risky one, there's only a small difference between sitting there with an exemption and spending the entire episode in isolation. He begins, as you probably should with Lot, and she gets a green screen. Thomas, Comfort, and Lila all get green screens, before world-famous Matteo Simone gets the red screen and another mole wrong. I like Matteo, but oh god, I'm so glad he only lasted one episode. He seemed perfectly nice, but he would have overshadowed the rest of the season if he'd stayed in. Yeah, and like I, I don't necessarily believe he was a stunt design, like a stunt casting design for one episode. Like I don't think, I don't think that have bothered with that much build up for this. But I, I do wonder if maybe his heart wasn't entirely in the game the way other people's were. Yeah, I think. I've been sort of debating for the past couple of days whether Mateo was meant to be a one-and-done or whether he actually was a proper player. I think he probably was a proper player, but I don't think they're necessarily that devastated that he crashed and burned. No. They got their one episode out of him. Did you see how like lukewarm the Belgian fans were about the twist? That's the thing. Like The Belgian fans are very proud of the fact that they never do any casting that is not proper casting that they never recruit anyone they never have celebrities i think this may be a um amazing race family edition situation where where a certain subset of the fans have been saying oh why don't you cast someone famous and jill's kind of done it to go this is why we don't cast famous people i wouldn't be surprised if that's actually what the story is here it doesn't feel like the sort of thing that'd be like network meddling no I think this was all above board and this was legit and he genuinely was the worst person on this first test. But I think from a production and a viewer's point of view, I think there is a bit of a sigh of relief that he was the first boot. Yeah. So he was afraid of going at first and then he did, which is obviously hilarious. And he wanted to bungee jump and horse ride and spend more time in the jacuzzi with Ruben. And as he departs, a light falls from the ceiling, scaring the living shit out of the remaining nine. Next time, a train ride sees Lancelot indulge, more stuff falls from the ceiling. Ruben and Lila act as drivers, and Thomas experiences some fucking pain! God, next week looks so good. It does. I sort of love that the subtitle said damn pain for that, but I went back and checked it. The drill sergeant does say fucking pain! Yeah. So, if I can get a good enough sound clip of that, that is going to be on the soundboard next week, because it's already made me laugh. So... With our pool, as is traditional on the first week, our pool will be officially revealed next week. You can join in and give us your week one order now with the link in our social media or in the description of this episode. It'll be open until the next episode airs at 7 UK time, I think it is. See, it's a bit weird because next week is when our clocks change. On Sunday. And Belgium's change on the same day. And I think it is 7 o'clock UK time that Belgium is airing this season which means 8 o'clock Belgian time. That's when it's going to close, anyhow. I'll get the notification when it does it. As Logan won last year's pool, he will get first draft and will alternate until we both have four people. Whoever's left over will go to the team that loses someone next week, and in the event it's a double execution, then whoever gets the first red screen will get the bonus person. In the suspect list, we are back for season two of suspect list, the new version at least. You can do the Bosswell suspect list each week at suspectlist.rtvwarriors.com or the link in our bio. It is all updated by the time that we record this, which is Tuesday morning. I've already done all the admin for it. Please pay close attention to Matteo's picture 
because I did do a very special picture for him because I couldn't get a clean one and it did make me laugh. Final questions. Yeah. Who do you suspect? I think first I'm going to put Comfort. I, I feel like she ended up like not as badly as Yura and Vidim, but I think she ended up in the right place, sort of doing the right thing a little bit. And then Ruben and Lancelot for similar reasons. Thomas in fourth. I don't know why. I just had like a weird feeling about him. And I don't think he was doing that much suspicious except being a crap dancer, which a lot of people are. But I don't know. Connie in fifth, I think she was sort of doing a lot of decent sort of subtle subterfuge a little bit. Lila in sixth, just sort of process of elimination there. I don't think... I don't think you'd put the mole in the situation to be in the duel in the first episode and, you know, potentially miss out on the entire episode as in this, like the season premiere. So I'm going to put Tus in seventh, Samia in eight for basically what I said before. I don't, I, I think if you're going for diversity, I think it sort of undercuts it a little bit to make somebody like Samia the mole. And I, I think... As much as, you know, I know you can't say they would never do this, I think that's the sort of thing I don't think you would do. I think she'd be a great mole. I don't think they would have done it. Maybe if it was like a situation where we had people like Samya like every season and we could basically do what Vidim has been doing with the gay contestants lately and just making them the mole every year. I think you probably could do it in a situation like that, but this is not that situation. And then ninth leaves a lot, I think... Like as, as much as I don't think she was doing what she could to make money, like holding the thing up and just, you know, taking breaks every now and then, like that sort of thing, I don't think you put them all in that situation. And then obviously Mateo, because bye-bye. Yeah, so as I said to you yesterday when you sent over your top three, we are broadly similar, actually. Oh. Because my top three are Lancelot, Ruben, and then Lila. Then I've got Thomas in fourth as well. Yeah. Toos is sort of mid-pack. Then it's Comfort, Connie, Samuel, Lisa, Lot. Lancelot and Ruben have to be my top two this week. Yeah. And obviously this may change before we draw the pool because Logan's still not done first suspicions yet. But those two were the most obviously suspicious people this week, I would say. Ruben, thanks to the hourglass shenanigans. And Lancelot was screwing up at that, dancing so much. And there's just something a little bit suspicious about Lancelot to me. And it's not just because he's got pitch number one, although if Lisa Lot had gone, he would have been my number one suspect as a result of that alone. But I think because he, because he was pitch number one, I was watching him a little bit closer anyway. And he was just he was just a little bit disingenuous to me. And obviously, you never trust an estate agent. Oh, of course not. Lila, I feel like, is going to be quite a big character, just from yeah. what we've seen of her already. She had a big, long intro segment compared to everyone else. Yeah. Lila feels like she's got final three energy. Yeah. And then Thomas, for a lot of the same reasons that you have him so high, he just is a little bit sus to me. Yeah. Toos and Lisa Lot both suffer from the fact that, as you said, you would never put them all in that situation to be out of the game potentially for so long. Yeah. And then Comfort, Connie, Samuel, I kind of have all clumped together. I didn't see anything that they did that was particularly suspicious. Comfort kind of let herself get led into being the last person on the slack line if she is the mole. Yeah. But I don't think she really did too much sus in the first challenge. And then, yeah, obviously Lisa Light is 
is the last suspect. I think she's probably going to go next week, to be honest. Yeah, it feels like whenever they do that sort of twist where somebody's missing for a little bit in the first episode, then they leave pretty quickly after. Yeah. Have you got anything else you want to say about this episode? Uh, Not really. Um, I will say Arizona looks lovely. Like, it looks a lot better than I was expecting it to when I heard that was the location. Yeah, when we said this with Oregon that they need to do a proper Wild West season for uh, for Bell here, I think I did mention Arizona as a potential one because there is some beautiful, beautiful scenery in Arizona. And especially that time of year, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to go to places that maybe would be a little bit crowded normally in summer. So there's going to be a lot of impressive scenery, I suspect. And I think they're going to do a lot better at nailing the American culture aspect than Venom did. Like, Oregon is one of Vidim's sort of better seasons in terms of that sort of thing. But every now and then there was a challenge was like, you know, go over here and put these signs in alphabetical order. I don't think we're going to get like those sort of generic sort of challenges you can do anywhere out of this season. Yeah, I agree. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Belkia Season 11 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for our newest mole in Arizona. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are, TV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Ben Niels is on Twitter at the Grim Recap, and I am Jay Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. We'll see you next week. Don't blame me. I wanted a conga line. <laughs>